Hello and welcome to Revenue Champions with me, Ryan Reisert. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Greg Woodward of Woodward Strategies. Uh, Greg has an amazing background helping organizations really figure out outbound and you're not going to want to miss this conversation. We dig into a few different topics ranging from the math of email mindset and why cold calling is still one of the most effective ways to drive pipeline. Tune in and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome everybody to another episode of Revenue Champions uh, with me, Ryan Reisert, and we've got a special guest here, Greg Woodward, and we are going to talk about what we always talk about, uh, current state of outbound and maybe some of the immediate future state, uh, some of the things he's seen in his practice. And uh, Greg, you want to introduce yourself to uh, the audience here? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Um, so just sort of a quick background, uh, Woodward Strategies is my firm based in Washington, D.C., focused on helping B2B tech companies ramp and scale outbound sales teams. Uh, also, uh, it's evolved into inbound as well uh, because there's some similarities there and also a little bit into uh, ind- with individuals, B2C, but 99% of my business is with uh, venture-backed tech companies. So you you know what's going on in the current state, working with these VC-funded outbound teams, uh, inbound coming in. But before we get into that, let's take a little bit of a, a journey. You know, how did you get into uh, to doing this work? I know we share some commonalities as we've learned from each other over the last couple of uh, months. But uh, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about how you got started in. Um, sales and marketing, uh, telemarketing, these types of things. Uh, it's my understanding we both share that common background of doing a little bit of telemarketing in high school, right? That's right. That's right. That's where we ripped the Band-Aid off. Um, sort of, you know, I enjoyed uh, chatting with you about your background. I, there's a lot of parallels there. Um, I guess the, the biggest difference is, is I was a terrible student uh, in high school, like a really bad one. And it wasn't because I wasn't trying. It was just, I guess I had ADD or something. Um and the other part of it, which I didn't really understand until later uh, in my 20s, was I've always had this aversity to um, doing what other people do, right? I always wanted to do something different. So I guess I'm sort of a contrarian in that sense. Um, and I mentioned that because it sort of led me down a path that wasn't conventional, um, but it was entrepreneurial. So I guess if you go back 18 years, 15 to 18 years, I started a company in my early 20s. Um, you know, ran it for five years, we raised money. So it was a venture back company. And it was really hard to get in front of our, our prospects, right? Because we were, my co-founder and I were a couple of kids, didn't know anything at all about business. And, you know, it took like two years really to kind of get a, an initial customer in that business. Uh, and certainly we had to do that before we raised any kind of meaningful money. Um, and that's kind of where this was born. Um, I drew a lot from the the year I did telemarketing in high school, which was uh, insanely valuable. And I didn't realize it at the time, but the compound effect that that had um, was immense. And then, you know, prospecting into, um, in, in my case with my company, we were doing online mail and rebates. So it was retailers, it was uh, consumer product brands, you know, consumer electronics manufacturers. And, uh, it was, it was hard. So that's, that's where I sort of refined the process that's in my training program. Uh, so I went on after that, after about five years, I actually wound up working for uh, an investor and I saw some things in that process because I worked closely with the investor um, that uh, trickled into the way I think about outbound. 
um, how they make phone calls, uh, sort of the mindset um, behind the approach to the phone and picking it up and dialing. Um, some really fascinating things for somebody in their mid-20s. And, and then I did M&A consulting for, for, I think, about seven years or so, where my clients were usually family-owned businesses or companies under $10 million in revenue that wanted to sell the company. So I was cold calling the C-suite in, in Fortune 5000 uh, companies to sort of showcase my client's business and try to gather their interest and then bring them to the table for a non-disclosure agreement and then a discussion. Um, that, that, uh, that's, I guess, where I polished the sort of edges off of the process to make it something that other people can do. Um, so that's how I got here. I started Woodward Strategies about four and a half years ago. Um, and, you know, just like I did in those days, I, I use the same process that's in my training program for outbound reps. I, I use the same process myself to get clients. And it's just, um, it's just easier for me now because I know how to do it, I guess. So that's, how, <laughs> that's sort of how I uh, arrived at this point uh, in my career. So you've got a really awesome journey going from uh, being an entrepreneur and just having to learn from having to learn. There's no, there's no uh, uh, missing quota when, when you're the person running your business. And, and when you're young like that, um, I guess the advantage is you don't have as much responsibilities, but at the same time, uh, you, you still have to eat. <laughs> so, uh, so really having to get out there and make stuff happen. And then moving into uh, uh, the financial side, M&A, and now working with uh, the, the venture back companies, you've got a really unique perspective here. And uh, for the audience, some of the clients that you're working right right now, so we can get a little bit of context on where we're going to take this discussion of what you're seeing. Uh, can you describe some of the personas that you might be typically going after and maybe just at a, without just divulging too much information, but like what type of folks are you selling into and um what kinds of services or products? I'm guessing this is mostly tech. So what type of uh, solutions that you might be representing just so that there's some context around what you're seeing and people can put that into action? Or or maybe that doesn't matter. I'd love to get your opinion on that one too. But uh, uh, just, just, just out of curiosity, uh, the types of folks that you are trying to reach out to uh, when using the phones for the outbound strategies that you're using today. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and it does, it does matter. And I'll give you an example of, of, where I cut the deck on one way of looking at prospecting versus another. Um, like in the healthcare space, if, if, if I have clients that are SaaS companies that sell into the healthcare vertical, right? So they're calling hospital organizations like at the administrative level. Um, the, the security filters are different. So email has to be done differently as an example, right? Um, I do a lot with cybersecurity companies. And if cybersecurity companies are prospecting into um, like a, a certain persona in a larger company like a Boeing or a Northrop Grumman, right? The security filters are a completely different animal than they are in anywhere else, right? So you, the way that we write copies a little bit different, we use less trigger words. Um, the way that we warm up emails is a little bit different as well. Um, so it does matter. Most of my clients are, are SaaS uh, companies and they sell into, um, you know, B2B verticals, healthcare. Uh, some of them sell into... Uh, like IT uh, across pretty much any other SaaS company other than theirs, um, you know. So I, I do I do a lot um, across uh, verticals. I actually more recently started to get clients uh, that have HR software. So it's SaaS again, right? But the the personas are different. So their personas are usually going to be HR directors. Um, and then you know I, I've had other clients that prospect into that vertical. 
Um, and I find that that's pretty consistent. So, you know, the one that is, well, quite frankly, I mean, the one, the vertical, the persona that, um, that we get the most traction with right now, if I looked at the last like three months across all of my clients, I would say that it's typically going to be uh, groups of people that don't get hammered um, as much as like we do. Uh, sales leaders are my persona for Woodward Strategies and they get hammered. So I have to be a call first approach with them just because they get hammered with 100 emails a day. Um, I have a, my, my biggest client, they're, for the most part, their uh, ideal personas are going to be like VP and above um, engineering and development engineers and embedded system engineers. Um, we get a lot of traction there. And I, my hypothesis is, is because they're, they're, not seeing, um, they're not seeing 10 to 12 emails from their competitor coming in at the same time, just because they're, I think the, I think the volume uh, to outbound for those personas is a little bit less. Uh, that's a hypothesis, but I do see the approach being a little bit different. Overall, though, you know, regardless of what the filters look like, regardless of you know any kind of barriers to getting a cold message across or even a cold call across, um, the reality of it is you have to look different than everything else. And you know that you have to look different than everything else, and sometimes that is taking a. Uh, I'll use email as an example. But this, this applies also to cold calling for sure. Taking an email, right, and looking at it. And if you would subconsciously, without really even reading more than three words, if you would subconsciously conclude that this looks like everything else, you're not going to consciously notice it, right? So one of the techniques that we use is we, we get the message right. And we achieve, you know, psychology throughout the message in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. But then we, we look at the words. And if something feels a little too buttoned up, you know, without being grammatically incorrect, we'll change things around to make it a little bit busted. And the reason why that is, is because when you read that, your brain has to think about it differently because it's not rolling off your tongue the same way. And it gets the prospect to be more present with the message. Um, you don't want to do that all over the message, but one or two places, it actually, it actually does move the needle in the data. And in my training program, I track all the data with all the emails so I can actually see this after we apply something, we A-B test and we see the data. So that, that's... Um, I think that's an interesting call out. Um, you know, certainly a lot of platforms out there will, will provide email templates, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, don't use those if, if you're interested in getting results because <laughs> everybody else is using those. Wait, uh, the sort don't, of, don't, don't, don't look up the top 15 yeah. email sequences that convert and just plug those in. That's not a good yeah. idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. uh I'm actually, actually really curious about this because, you know, we're shifting into kind of what you're seeing and, and thanks you, thank you for giving us some background because you obviously uh, have a, a range of, of different clients across some, some of the more challenging verticals or maybe, you know, some of them that have a uh, reputation for being a little, I mean, I wouldn't, I would, I would expect my hypothesis on the engineering side is that most people say, oh, they're engineers and it's cybersecurity, so you can't email them. So let, let's go to phone because we can't use email. This is like this. And now you're seeing that, well, actually email is working pretty well over that's an interesting learning. My hypothesis might be that. I don't know. I, 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 uh, that's really curious, but thanks for the background there. Now we're thinking about what you're seeing right now. And one of your first things that you're seeing right now is you've got to, you got to not look like everybody else. Uh, this, and, and from an email perspective, almost having those pattern interrupts in your copy. Um, and I, I love that. Um, what other things are you seeing right now? Uh, you know, current state of outbound that, um, that, that, uh, 
that seem to be working and or in this other flip of it is like what's what's not working and what are some alternatives that that might be uh you know a little bit better option right if i'm if i'm doing outbound today uh um i'm always interested in tips right how do i get better what 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 are you seeing that uh that moves the needle uh, in today's market yeah so uh, let me sort of take a piece of that question first because it's something that is very current um a lot of companies right now that have established you know, systems in place and they've been prospecting with email, for instance, or I'm going to talk about email first. Um, they're having problems now for some reason this year, more than they have in the past with uh, maintaining their, their sender score, you know, their domain reputation. Um, you know, in 2019, the filters got more aggressive. That was sort of the, the, um, the intro to the promotions tab, which found its way from Gmail to pretty much every other inbox. Um, you know, and there's things like gate it and there's other things like that people can opt into to basically block uh, cold emails. So what we what the, the, the difference between an email that is crap and it's not getting like, let's just look at open rate first, right? And reply rate and then desired outcomes. But open rate, if it's a cold email and the list is is uh, is, is a pure cold list, they've never opened an email from you in the past. Um, there's been no engagement. They have no idea who you are. Uh, the target really should be a 30% or more open rate. If you're not achieving that, then you're going to hurt your score if you continue to scale. Okay. So that's the target I use. Uh, now, clearly if you sprinkle in some warm leads or even just leads that opened, you know, your last campaign, they sort of, sort of habitually open emails, you're going to, you're going to bring that up dramatically. So when we, when we test something, we don't want to mix that in because it'll skew our data. Um, what well, I see though is one, one, one second. I don't, I don't want you to forget about this, but this is a really interesting topic. Hopefully I want to double click on that a little bit. Uh, cause it's really interesting. So cold benchmark 30%, that, that's what you want to see. Otherwise you're going to be in trouble. Uh, so we'll get into what you might do about it in a second, but 30% is the benchmark, but you just said something that's really fascinating because I, I preach a variation of this on the phone, right? If they pick up, they pick up again. What you're saying is if, if they respond, they respond again, uh, or if they open, they open again, you're seeing that. And a great little tactic here might be if you're looking to help improve your score or just uh, get better results to sprinkle in some older data that way you know they've had this propensity to open in the past or respond in the past. Is that is that right? It's exactly right. And it's important to do that, um, especially if you're if you're kind of uh, rewarming your your inbox, like your sender ability. Um, what what it looks like is this. You've got a company with a sales team that's been using like an outreach IO or the equivalent. And, you know, they've been sending 500 to a thousand emails a day across the team. And they've been doing that for two years. Okay. If they work with me, then the data is something that we track even when things are going well. So, you know, I look for, uh, I look for that 30% plus if it's a total cold list. I mean, if it's all leads that have opened in the past, you're going to get with the same email that gets 30%, you're going to get like a 70% open rate. Um, to give you an example, uh, yeah. it's insane. Well, yeah. it's, it's, it's exact, like phone ready leads. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's email ready leads. That's what that's you're, what it you're is, email ready you're leads. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. ERL. Yeah. No, but it, it's important to look at your data when things are going well, even when they're going well, because nothing lasts forever. It's like this. If you have a bowl of water and picture one end of the bowl is somebody saying, Hey, I have this brilliant strategy for email, Right. And then the bill, the bowl start. They start telling people about it. The bowl starts to tilt. All the water rushes to that end of the bowl, and now everybody's doing the same thing. You know, if that's why I don't post a lot on LinkedIn, right? I gate my content. 
the stuff that I put out there isn't, is not the paid content of my program because it's all original to me. 99% of it is. And if everybody started doing it, it wouldn't work as well. <laughs> so, yeah, that's sort of the, the, I know that's sort of counterintuitive to a lot of people's thinking about, um, content and certainly like a, like LinkedIn and things like that, but that's the reason for it. Well, um, it makes sense in the email side specifically because, because it's so easy to just rip and run with it. And then you see a, a good strategy go bad like that. Um, my perspective on the phone piece is not enough people do it and we're going to get this mindset stuff, not enough people do it anyway. So if I can give them some resources that will help them be more successful, then hopefully it, it motivates them to do more of it. So, uh, it, but if I was doing text-based recommendations, playbooks and things like that, there's no way I would want to give that away without some sort of price of entry because it would just get, it would just get murdered, you know? Uh, so, so it makes a ton of sense that you keep some of that to yourself, but um, this idea of sprinkling in data, uh, obviously I believe in that on the phone side and it makes sense that it works in these other channels as well. And it's genius because you know, now you're helping improve that sender rating, but also um, likely helping get to what we're looking for. Desired outcome is, in this case, probably a positive response, right? So um, a little bit more familiarity. Uh, do, do you see any Do you see any trends on, on that open uh, all the way down to responses? I mean, obviously, those who respond tend to respond again as well, I'd imagine. Yeah. So, um, well, the people that have responded in the past now that becomes in, in, for, from an outbound standpoint that becomes a warm lead right there's been a there's been a back and forth at some point uh, yeah they they tend to they tend to be more responsive but they're also if you're if you're doing it correctly anyone that's in the, that category should not be getting sequenced they should be getting you know a direct custom message because you have the familiarity of that prior interaction and you can use that uh to, to really humanize whatever it is you want to talk about you know something about that person um but in terms of benchmarks the open rate for cold email on a pure cold list is universal. I mean, I do this in 13 countries and I use that same metric across the board. It's universal. 30%. Because, yeah, 30% plus, right? Anything above that's progress. Because what makes us open in a cold email is the same for all. It's, it's, a, it's a subconscious thing, right? That's why when you open up your inbox. Fascinating. Yeah, you don't, no. you don't have to look at each one of the emails to know which one. You just somehow consciously only see the ones oh. that are relevant to you or the ones that are from people you know. Yeah. Um, well, it's fascinating to me because what I see on the phone side is it's about 30% who pick up. Yeah. Right. So, so, and I, I, I'm pretty confident that it is like this personality type. So if you're an email opener, you're an email opener, about a third, maybe a quarter. If you look at personality types kind of blends over. So it's fascinating to hear that because I see between 20 and 40%, but it's right in that 30% range. That's Super fascinating. I'm sorry, yeah. I just uh, geek out with you all all day on some of this. Yeah, I, I can I can geek all day here too with, about yeah. data, and it's probably going to go down a, a rabbit hole. So stop <laughs> me if I'm going too far with it. But the um, the part that ranges based on the company. So when I go into a company, I I usually uh, what I'll do in the beginning is I'll I'll uh, look at the emails they're using. Mm -hmm. You know, I start with email. Seventy percent of what I do is call training. But I start with email. Mm -hmm. and there's a reason for that, which we can get into if you want, but I don't think there's absolutely reason. no. Uh, well, I'm curious, just like a very curious? high level. <laughs> curious why, you know, why 30% sure. is email, 70% phone, but you start with email. Yeah. We start with email because it's the, the cleanest place to get a read. So the way that my whole approach works is that we, we take your, your ideal uh, persona list and we put it into buckets and we mm -hmm. write persona specific messaging and we only start with the cold uh, email, the cold list, because 
there's less variables in the data. Mm-hmm. And what we're really doing is we're testing with, you know, 130 to 150 people at a time, making one little iteration to the message based on what the data is telling us to do. Does, is the reply rate too low, but the open rate's fine, for an example. And what we're really trying to do here is we're trying to uh, communicate with them in a way that aligns with the psychology of how our brain produces questions, uh-huh. you know, these lingering questions, they form, we're trying to get ahead of that. So there's a sequence approach that we use, which is in my program. But the other thing is we're, we're trying to sound like we think, right? So we want to articulate what we do through the lens of how they look at the world. I'll give you an example that's unrelated. If you like cars and I like cars, right? And there's this car that maybe I just got this car and I want it to resonate with you, but I know that you like the engine in the car. So when you look at a car, you're looking at through the lens of what kind of an engine does it have? Maybe I like the, the aesthetics of the car or the wheels, right? I'm, if I want to resonate with you, I'm going to describe the same car, but I'm going to do it through the lens of what, what the engine is in it, right? Versus maybe the the prior year's model. And that's the, the same sort of idea. Um, for Woodward Strategies, CROs and VPs of sales, I consider one persona uh, because they're both forecasting focused, right? Uh, directors and managers, I don't consider a persona, so I don't approach them. Um, but if I did, they would be a different group because they're not forecasting focused. They're more focused on quarterly, uh, quarterly numbers and sort of team quota, right? So they all agree the same thing's important, the CRO and the manager or director, but I need to articulate my, my message to them using slightly different words. And it's amazing what it does in the data when you hit the note. So what we do in the beginning is we hit the note. And the reason why we do that first is because it validates with data how we, like, how we articulate our value to this particular persona. Yep. So when we get on the phone with them, we know exactly what to say. Yeah. So we build you know, call, voicemail, email kits all around one core tested message for one, one persona group. So That's why the program works. I, I love this. Uh... We take a different approach. I, I, I go phone first because of the phone ready and I get similar data. But uh, so 30% is the benchmark on opens. And then so if it's 30 or better, that's okay. What are you seeing as the benchmark where your re- responses are? Yeah. Like a- average so, versus note. I'm curious. Like when sure, do you know sure. you get it? This is the part that ranges. Um, and the reason why uh, it ranges, I think, has to do with just with the, the sort of space they're in. For instance, I have clients that are in the payment space their reply rates are, uh, you know, like a a 6% reply rate for them is really good, right? I have clients in cybersecurity where that's a failed message and we stop sending it immediately. Okay. So uh, the ranges are this, 30% plus for cold lists on opens all the time. Then we we track two metrics for reply rates. The the first one is replies to opens because, you know, if there's a deliverability problem, we want to measure the reply rate based on eyes on the message, but then also replies to sends. Uh-huh. replies to the number of sends. So um, the replies to opens is the part that varies. It, I, you know, pretty much anywhere from, from 12 to 25% is the range that I work with, you know, depending on the company. You know, I have clients where 15% plus is progress. I have clients where 12% is great. Yep. Um, that's the part that I get the benchmark on. I sort of set a watermark in the beginning so I know what looks like progress. Uh, and then replies to sends is anywhere from 3 to 9%. Three to nine percent. Okay, that's the range. I know that's a big range, but that's the range. No, no, but it makes sense, though. I mean, the the interesting part about this, I'm so fascinated now. I got to geek out with you offline on some more of this stuff because we talk about this. But uh, uh, and and for those who are listening, again, replies to opens means you're only counting not all the records, but those who had open. What percentage of those actually replied? That's that replies to opens, Mm -hmm. and then replies to sins is the total 
So three to yep. nine and 12 to 25. So you're and then desired outcomes. That's the most important part. Yeah. And then what's your, what's your, and I'm guessing there's obviously there's two metrics there too, right? Uh, outcomes from op- uh, responses. Yep. Outcomes, outcomes from replies. Uh, outcome outcomes from, from um, opens. positive outcomes from do you replies. Go from open, yeah. Do you go, go from opens or replies? How you how do you track our totals? Is it all still from opens or actually from the? Replies? I track both, but the one I really look at is just basically outcomes to sends. Um, outcomes to sends and what's and what's I do, the, yeah. And, what's and Ryan, the reason that is is because I don't even look at that that metric unless I know for sure that there's you know a complete diver, deliverability um, happening. Meaning that if there's an inboxing issue, right? I don't look at the outcomes yet. I fix. Right. I make. I want to know everything's sending and inboxing before I do. That. So outcomes to sends, it's, it's typically for a, uh, a cold email template to a cold list. Um, my target is typically one to 3%. So every time you send it to a hundred people, you're getting one to three meetings. Okay. No other engagement. That's, that's right. the sense. And then, and then while you're working on the potential deliverability challenge, what's a good bar, uh, benchmark on replies to, I guess, responses, right? So that's like, that's almost like how I track, I say conversion, if I can get you on the phone, that's my yeah. conversion metric is, is what percentage of the conversations actually say yes. Uh, do you track that one as like a benchmarking or is, was it? Yeah, on I, I do. I do. I, I don't, I don't um, use that as much. I mean, if they're having an inboxing issue, we try to fix that. So we, we do that with very low volume. Um, and that's when I would look at, you know, what are the outcomes to uh, what are the outcomes to opens? Because that's the only thing that is actually reading clearly. Yeah. And um, what, what's your benchmark there on outcomes to opens? Outcomes to opens is the same. It's one to 3%, but I can't get a read on that until there's 150. Um, there's 150 data sets, data points. So gotcha. So, so you're, you're always trying to bench, you're always trying to benchmark around a, uh, one to three on every hundred eyes is your benchmark, yeah, that's right? exactly it. Yeah. Okay. I like that. You know, I hear this all the time from reps. They, they say, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll be reviewing a template on our coaching calls, which I do with teams. And you know, somebody will always speak up and say, well, that, that, actually, that email, that, that email actually works great. And I uh-huh. say, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, I, I got a meeting with it yesterday. I'm like, well, that's fantastic. How many times did you send it? Uh-huh. Uh, like 18. Well, you know, averages don't show themselves in small data sets. So something could look like a total dud. And then you get it to that, one, that 150 mark, and it's a cold list. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's adequate, or it's even better than adequate. It could be a winner. And something could look like a like a you know, show it that sort of early read on, which is always good. You always want to be optimistic. But if, if you get a meeting with something like that after sending it 20 times, that's a good sign. Be optimistic, but send it all the way to 150 and see what happens. Because yeah. you don't know if it's going to be that 1% or that 3%. Right? Well, and you and you and I share a common uh, respect for the great late, great late Chet Holmes. Yeah. And uh, Chet Holmes has his buyer's pyramid. And in Chet Holmes' buyer's pyramid, for those who maybe have never read this book, uh, The Ultimate Sales Machine, I, I would recommend picking it up. Um, he has this concept called the stadium pitch, and he talks about the buyer's pyramid. And the idea is if you could get your message in front of your entire audience, yeah. they could leave it any time. Well, 3% are buying now. 7% are open to it. 67% are open to it. And there's this 30-30-30 of not, not thinking about it don't think they're interested. No, they're not interested. What you're saying right now is your benchmark is your, your, your message is hitting. People are positive responding, taking a meeting that 3% range. You're getting all the people that are ready, uh, is kind yeah. of, is kind of what I'm, what I'm gathering here. 
Um, you're, you're right on. And that, that reinforces the, the, the very big point. When you think like that, you have to compare apples to apples. So if you were testing something against it, it has to be a fresh list of complete cold leads. Complete cold, because you don't know, right? Now, exactly. if your metrics are higher than that, there's a good chance that you're, you're getting warmer stuff with intent built in. Like, obviously, your conversion, uh, your, your, open, your outcomes to opens, your outcomes to sends is going to be much higher if you're somehow able to know that these are folks that are already somewhat interested in the problem uh, that you're solving for. You know, there's the problem aware, solution aware, product aware, so on and so forth. So that's going to change things. But you're talking about complete cold here. This mm-hmm. is your benchmark for cold. This mm-hmm. is fascinating. Um, I know we got a little bit more geeky here, but uh, I think that was a great lesson. It's definitely helpful for me because I know the math for cold calls. Now I have another benchmark to look at on cold email, and I'm going to tap your shoulder later and, uh, um, for more of that. But let's get back into some more of the um, – the, the, see, this is the why behind it, right? You're trying to hit the node. You know yeah. the node hits when you get to one to three, and then now you got message – that's basically uh, target message fit right? You got the right targets with the right message and now you're going to expand the phone. So why is it 70% phone versus 30% email then? Um, and now I get the science behind here. You, all right, message is mm-hmm. right. Why then do you turn to the phone for you know, two thirds of your efforts? Or seven? Yeah. Uh, well, the, it, there's two reasons. I mean, in terms of my, my program, it goes over seven weeks. Um, that's where the most content is, the most to digest because we, you know, it's, it's all original content. So it's not stuff that the reps that are in the program have read in books before. Um, so it requires a lot of, of repetition and practice. And that's what we do on our weekly calls during the program. We do a lot of role playing um, and we do a lot of call reviews. That's the real reason. The psychology behind the messaging is something that honestly I can unpack. Um, I can unpack that in fully in two hours to the point where somebody gets it right. So we get that out of the way, but more importantly, you want to scale with your winners. So when we want to start doing the cold calls, right, where the we're adding effort to a particular lead, right, we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can um, to make that approach as specific and relevant as possible. Too many companies will, um, what, they, what most companies tend to do, you know, they're, they're, they're raising money, they're scaling so quickly, uh, things get a little bit sloppy. Um, there's a difference, obviously, between sales and marketing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion in a lot of companies about what that difference really is. And what they do is they just borrow from marketing messaging that's used for marketing, yeah. right? And they dump it into these 26 step sequence and they just start hammering a list. And those are the, those are the companies that have a, a, a 9% open rate and, you know, no deliverability happening. They're yeah. the ones that are in trouble right now. And they're trying to figure out how to, how to navigate that because those, they're not inboxing. Those are the ones where you look at HubSpot's benchmark data. I don't know if you've seen that. Right. It's like sins are up 150% and the responses are down 38%. Th- those are those mm-hmm. ones, which is yeah. almost it's everybody just, right now. <laughs> yeah. And what they're sending out is, is it from the prospect standpoint, the prospect doesn't even have to consciously notice it to know that it just looks like everything else and they don't even notice it. That's why, they, that's why the, even when it does inbox, it doesn't perform well. Yeah. Right. It just sounds like everything else. Yep. You know. Yep. So yeah. seventy. So seventy percent goes because of the content. But is there? I know the reach. I know the reach component here, right? So you're getting to, you're getting to thirty percent of your list over email. I know you're probably getting to another thirty percent over the phone. Now you get to about sixty. You're getting eyeballs on the message. About sixty percent of the list, which is pretty pretty dang good. That's going back to Chet Holmes' buyer's pyramid. You're getting, um, 
a good chunk. You're getting an almost what is sixty? What is sixty percent or forty percent? Something. It's a, it's almost a good chunk of all of those if you're in there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, are there any other channels that you're training on? Are do you do any LinkedIn stuff as well? Any anything you're seeing there? I, I do just because I, I get asked about it a lot by mm-hmm. uh, clients um, at a high level. And I want to get back to cold calling real quick and make a point. But at a high level, uh, anything with LinkedIn or sometimes even people are doing text texting. Um, obviously, the message has to be much shorter. The way that we do that is we we validate how to articulate something with email first, and then we shorten it from what's been proven and tested. Mm-hmm. That's how we do it. But back to calling, um, you probably remember this. I think everybody remembers this. Uh, go back to two, 2010. It doesn't sound like it's that long ago. Um, or even like 2008, right? Yeah. People weren't, the SDR uh, motion didn't really exist then, like it does now. People weren't hiding behind email. Social media didn't exist. They weren't hiding behind email. They weren't. So more cold calls were happening. Everything was call first. That was the only, you want a prospect? That's how you do it. Yep. Right? It's either that or direct mail, and direct mail doesn't work as well. So everybody was doing it. Then the the sort of SDR function became mainstream. Predictable right. revenue. What is it? Like exactly. 2010, yeah. 2011 is when the book yeah. came out. Social yeah. kind of came into that. Yeah, and then LinkedIn's, LinkedIn got way more popular by then. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most most sales teams are not cold calling. I know. No. You know. Right. Oh, yeah. They're not cold calling. And so the opportunity for cold calling now is like tenfold what it was in 2010. Because th- there's less noise there. Just like when email first became sort of the channel, people were able to get more traction than they can now because there's too much noise. So the, the, the reason why we shift to cold calling is because the ROI on that is so much higher mm. than email. And you can get ROI from email if you combine it with cold calling and do it correctly and combine mm. it with voicemail and do it correctly. So there's a sequence we train on to do that. And you know I have clients that they're generating like hundreds of millions of dollars a year in SAL vo- dollar volume with small teams of reps. Hundreds tested messaging in these call voicemail email sequences. Hundred. Um, def- can you define that for a second? I can't let you get away with that. Hundreds sure. of millions with small teams. What what's defined as a small nine reps, two hundred and eleven million. Wow. Yeah. Holy geez. So yeah. SALs. That means that means like two or three meetings happen. There's you know bona fide interest. There's budget and pricing's been discussed. You're saying That's you're saying means. hundreds of millions of pipeline or mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of deals. Hundreds of millions hundreds of, pipe- millions of, of dollar volume pipeline, so I, sales accepted and, leads. Yeah. yeah. And, and the and conversion then, rate on that, I, I can't tell you on the podcast, but it's, it's healthy. Yeah. I, I would imagine mm-hmm. it's, if it's, if it's in the right range, uh, it's, that's still tens that's of still, millions. That's tens of millions in, in, mm-hmm. in actual deals. That's, yeah. inc- that's incredible. With nine, with nine reps. Nine reps. Okay. When do I, where do I sign up for Woodward Strategies? <laughs> like, no, this is, like, but this is, uh, this, is, this, is, this, is this is amazing. Let's let's riff on this, Ryan. If you removed cold calling and doing it correctly from that whole equation, the example I just gave you, yeah, that hundreds of millions of dollars in SAL dollar volume would be maybe ten million, maybe twenty million, right? The the cold yeah. call allows you to humanize the approach. And here's the other thing: depending on who your personas are, like for instance, my personas are are sales leaders, like VPs and chief revenue officers. Yep. The interesting thing about my persona is they're incredibly impatient, right? But they're also very empathetic. It's weird. It's sort of a sales leaders of that way, right? Yeah. When you approach them correctly, you like all all the time. 
when you approach them correctly, they will tell you that. Mm -hmm. They will stop. You'll hear them go, I really liked how you said that. <laughs> you know, like, why did you tell me you were a consultant? Well, because I am. You're like, no, 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 that totally disarmed me. I, I'd like my team to do something like that. They, they tell you what they liked. It's sort of because they appreciate it. Now, so they appreciate it because that's sort of the craft and the way they think. But if you go to a different persona, like an IT persona, right, where they don't think that way, when they get a, a well-placed cold call, what moves the needle for them is it doesn't sound like everything else, right? right. It has courtesy in it. It has clarity in it. It doesn't sound um, one directional. It doesn't sound like marketing, right? And the biggest thing is, is the rep knows something about them. They know something about them. So if I cold called you and you don't know me, right? And let's say you're a chief revenue officer and you have you know, multiple teams of sales development reps. And let's say your, your company, let's just use Cognizant, right? If I cold called you, you pick up the phone and I start talking at you and you ask me, hey, Greg, by the way, do you know what my company does? Most reps don't know how to answer that question because they don't know, unless it's, you know, Facebook. They don't know. And you'll hear them go to the website. I always ask that question when I get a cold call. That's sloppy. Know what the company does. But more importantly, know an observation about them. And you can do this at scale by, by looking at your, spending some time with your whole list and putting it into buckets and saying, okay, well, this bucket just raised a funding round. This bucket um, has SDRs. This bucket's hiring SDRs. And that, that, that observation for each bucket has to be relevant to you in some way. Right. So in the beginning of the call, I can immediately give you context to make the whole thing make sense. So you're not spinning around on overdrive trying to figure out what this is and how it's relevant to you. Right. When you do that with somebody who, who doesn't have a sales background, you know, it makes them feel a certain way. And subconsciously, you know, the, the threat flag isn't waving. So consciously, they kind of like you. And that's, the, that's why it's so effective. Um, next time you get a cold call, take it, listen to it, and pay real close attention to how you feel four seconds in. 10 seconds in and what it was that made you do whatever you did at the end, give them a meeting, don't give them a meeting and write it down. It's fascinating because the way that our brains work is it's all the same. It doesn't matter what language you speak. Right. It's all the same. And it's really, really kind of cool. So when you approach somebody correctly with a cold call, which is why we spend 70% of the time on that, it moves the needle. You can take a list of 20 people and get meetings with 15 of them. Well, you're, you're talking about, um, yeah, well, let's let's talk about that. You, you just said that you spend 70% teaching it. But before that, you said that if you eliminated the phone, that 200 million would be something like 10 million. So yeah. that's like 95% of the pipeline is actually coming from the phone being a part of the process, um, which is really interesting. And I'm curious if that's how you hear it, because I, I have this uh, conversation often with a lot of folks who are very email centric. It's like, hey, that's great. Email's working for you. But when you've really optimized outbound, your split should be something like 90, 10, 80, yeah. 20 coming from phone, right? If you're crushing it on email and you're, you're hitting your number and you're 70% is coming from email, well, look at all that extra yeah. opportunity really that you would yeah. be really crushing it, especially with what you started this whole conversation at was like, you've nailed the node. If email's working, just imagine how well things would go if you could add phone to the mix. And that right now is really difficult for a lot of folks to wrap their mind around. And yeah. this, this transitions into the, the last thing we should chat about here so we don't run out of time, but mindset. Why is it that 
why is it that uh, folks are are not they're so adverse to the phone? Um, is it is it a fear of calling? Is it a lack of understanding how to call? Uh, I mean, I get lots of excuses. I'm just hearing, just curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, and maybe I don't want to stack too much, but I love it when you just go because I'm learning so much here. And may, may, maybe, uh, uh, maybe how do you, what do you see when you start, and then how do you see that transition after they've kind of gone through your program, right? Do you see that shift or, or not? Oh um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the the entire week three of my seven week program is is only focused on mindset, and we go deep. Um, mm-hmm. It's the part that I get the most feedback on long term from teams as well. Um, but let, let's, let's riff on this because this is really important. Um, nobody with a pulse is comfortable making a cold call. <laughs> They're not. Okay. That includes you and me. It's yeah. just a case of how comfortable are you? You and I are able to do it and we're able to get into a flow with it because we know that it's, you know, once you rip the bandaid off and you start the first call, the second call gets easier. The third call is easier. The fourth one, it's like, why don't I just do this all day? It's so easy. Once mm-hmm. you're in, in the cockpit, which is a term you use, you're in the cockpit. So if you're, you know, a 27-year-old SDR, right, you might talk a big game about making cold calls, but at the end of the day, you're staring at the phone, and that first call is one where you're fidgeting and you're, you're doing these little micro actions to procrastinate, right? And the reason why you're doing that is because you're afraid. Um, and then these thoughts go through your mind. So you get, this is where people start to get in their own way. You know, what happens if they ask me this? I'm... I'm not going to know the answer. So I should do some research now to figure out just in case that happens. What happens if they ask me this? How do I respond if this happens? Here's the reality of it. Um, I hate using this example. So if it's inappropriate, just take it out. (laughs) If you get into a fist fight with someone, do you think about what you're going to do after the next hit? Or do you just respond to it instinctually? instinctively? No, it's a perfect example, right? Mike Tyson... I, I say this often, right? You know, everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth. And that's, uh, that's Mike Tyson's quote, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's exactly the same thing. And it's, I, I use that often with the folks that are th- that way. Hold on a second. Right. I just have to make sure I'm good. I'm like, hey, why don't we just click dial and let's see what happens? <laughs> exactly. Break the ice. Break the ice and, and, let, and let your fight or flight do the rest for you. Right. The reality of it is, you know, you got to ask, if you're a rep, you've got to ask yourself the right kinds of questions. Has there ever been a time where you forgot how to talk? Yes or no? Yes. And I'd love to hear the answer to that be yes. Forgot how to talk. I just forgot yes. how to talk. Yes. Right. Right. Yes, it's happened for a lot of, it's happened for me uh, early on. Not forgot what to say, but forgot how to talk. Yeah, not, no, no. You know right? how to talk. Forgot yeah. how to talk. Yeah. So, you know, always have a Hail Mary pass. You're never going to use it if you have it, but have it. It gets rid of that anxiety. Have something, you know, have two sentences written down right? That allows you to bail without bail gracefully out of the call, right? Um, tell you what, I don't want to give you the wrong information. Uh, if it's okay, let me talk internally with some of my people here and I will get back to you with an email later today, just with a little bit more context. I don't want to take up too much of your time unless it makes sense. Bail. If I know I have that and I can pull that ripcord whenever I want, that part of the anxiety is gone. But the trick is, is you got to rip the bandaid off. I call it breaking the ice. So, just make the first call. Dial before you start thinking about it because you will get in your own way. It's interesting. Um, one of the observations I mentioned earlier in this, um, when I worked for the investor, um, I'm not going to name his name, but he was in the 400 list for a while. So he was, you know, he was a billionaire. And he was one of the people in the list that didn't have their photo next to their name. And you know, 
if you Google them, it'd be hard to find things. Very, very private person. Um, so people knew what he did, knew the business, but most people didn't know his name. One time uh, I was sitting in his office with him because it was, I was working closely with this person, sort of a mentor also. Um, I, was, I think I was 26. And he got excited about this idea. And there was a whiteboard and, you know, he's talking quickly and he's writing things down and I'm just talking back and he's saying, this is really great. This is exciting. He's like, we got to talk to, and they named another billionaire in New York. Well-known, this one. And he called his assistant and he said, find XYZ's office number. And five, six minutes later, assistant comes in with the number, puts it on his desk and he's going off about the whiteboard. He's distracted. He's trying to drink his coffee. He's talking. He's excited. This happened. And I'm sitting here watching this. And then he grabs the phone, which it, those days had a cord, like a 20 yeah. foot cord. <laughs> and he's got it up in his ear like this. He's writing on the whiteboard. He's like, Greg, look at this. No, this is what we need to do. And he's telling other people what to get. And then he dials a number and he's still moving around. He's still looking at the whiteboard. And I remember this in slow motion. Okay. In slow motion, the phone cords pulling papers off his desk. It's <laughs> chaos. He's writing on the whiteboard, the phone, I can hear it ringing. And I'm thinking to myself, oh shit. <laughs> this guy is calling somebody. He's going to get their assistant, obviously. And they're going to have no idea who he is. This guy is not used, basically used to having his ego bruised like that. Yeah. So I'm like, watching this. And then I heard the assistant pick up. And the way he spoke, very courteous, polite. But he said with a few words, just with his tonality, um, it's appropriate for you to put me through. And with no hesitation at all, the assistant put him right through. I'll never forget that moment because at that moment, I realized that there's something different here, right? I was certain that this person that he was calling had no idea who this person was. And certainly the assistant didn't, right? He said his name, but there was no familiarity there. It was the way and the mindset making the call, which conveyed in the tonality 90% of our, our communication. I don't know if it's exactly 90, but you get my point. Is, is how we use the words as opposed to the words we're using. So mindset is important, right? And how do you bottle parts of that to use it as your, if you have like a, an SDR team? Well, there's different things. You know, people, people tend not to do what they can't visualize themselves doing, right? So you have to get your reps and your team to a place where um, they're doing this, not just in a role play session, but you're, you're making sure that they're ripping the bandaid off and making calls. And then you're sharing those calls with the team, the recordings, if you can do that. That's important. But the other thing is, is you got to get their belief system aligned with what the objectives are. Um, I, if we have a minute, I'll tell you a story that I like to tell. It's true. Uh, it, it, it's just an amazing story. Um, I had my, I think it was my second or third client when I started this business. Uh, they had just raised series B, you know, and they were hiring. So I think at that point they had like 30 people in the company. So my main point of contact was still the founder and the CEO. And he said, look, you know, uh, we really want to start this program. Uh, we have three reps right now. And they're relatively new. They're, you know, one of them has been here for two months. The others are, are a month in. Uh, question for you, Greg. And I said, what? He's like, well, the one that's been here for two months kind of showed some promise in the first month, but he hasn't had any activity at all. Uh, you know, didn't have any activity at all last quarter, which, you know, the last two and a half months of the quarter. We're wondering if we should backfill that role and then start everybody together in the program. And I thought about it and I said, look, you know, I get it. Why don't we just get started? And if it doesn't work out with that rep, I'll figure that out with you. And he said, fine. 
So having that context in the beginning of, you know, before starting the program, um, I called the rep, you know, I set up a time, I just called him, talked to him a little bit. And when I'm looking for things I can fix, low hanging fruit, does this person sound mechanical on the phone? Yeah. Right? What does their workflow look like? Do they have adequate product knowledge? And yeah, they did. This person had adequate product knowledge, a lot of enthusiasm and charisma in his voice, which you look for, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of person that the, the way they would use a script is not to read it. It's sort of the mental exercise to design what the, you know, the guardrails on the call they're about to make because they sound better natural. Right. Yeah. And this person was totally capable of doing that. So I didn't really know, I didn't really know what was going on. So I just flat out asked him, I said, look, um, what's going on? And he just said, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> and I said, okay. So we get into the program. Week three is where the mindset begins. And this, there's some really powerful exercises in there. And he calls me on my cell phone before our, our weekly coaching call with the rest of the company. And he says, Hey, uh, Woodward, I um, want to just let you know, before we get on with the group, I did all those uh, mindset modules last week. And I think it really answered some questions for me. So tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get one meeting every day for the next month. I felt bad. I knew where that enthusiasm was coming from. Right. And I thought he was being a bit naive. I mean, over the last two months, he didn't have any meetings. Yeah. The quota was 15. That was the target. So I didn't want him to fail. It's something that he was very enthusiastic about. So I tried to break it down a bit. So I started asking questions. I said, well, okay, you want to get one meeting every day for the next month. That's five meetings a week. And he cuts me off and he goes, Woodward, there's seven days in a week. I said, come on, man, you're not going to work on the weekends. He goes, look, I know I'm not going to work on the weekends, but some days I'm going to get more than one meeting. So at that point, I was sort of at a loss. I was like, this is going to be a train wreck. He got 44 meetings that week, or that month, 44 meetings, and I'm not kidding. And the reason why he did that is because he aligned his subconscious belief system with yep. exercises for mindset that we were doing with the goal and objective. I mean, he, he was working harder than other people were before this. He had, uh, he started the day with a good attitude, but what was happening is right before he would make progress, he wasn't subconsciously comfortable with, with that because the subconscious wasn't familiar with doing that yet. That's right. And that's what leads people to self-sabotage. And that's what he was doing. So once we, once we fixed that, it was like taking your, your thumb out of a funnel and water gushing everywhere, total traction that actually happened. And I I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's the truth. Uh, I didn't believe him. So I called the CEO and asked, and he said, look, I don't know yet what the quality of those meetings is, but it's true. And the only thing we did in that particular case to, to make that difference is just aligning that subconscious belief system with the goal and objective. And there's a way that you can do that by taking advantage of the feedback loop. Everything happens in a feedback loop, right? So that's where you intervene to sort of hack your belief system. If teams don't do this and reps don't do this, um, they're, they're kind of their worst enemy and they, they could work really hard towards something. And, but for some reason, they can't actually execute at the level that they want to. They'll make progress, right? Usually. Right. Um, you can spot this, and, and then I'll shut up, but you can spot this. Anybody that's listening to this, if they have a sales team, you can spot this on your team. Let me tell you how. It's the rep that always misses just one short of the quota, one unit, whether that's a meeting or a $10,000 increment, short of, of goal every quarter. Not enough to fire them, but you notice it. 
that's the person that the reason why that's happening consistently for that person is because the the objective which they're conscious about right and pursuing is not familiar to them subconsciously that's why it's true I have to have a, a follow-on on that at some point, but with time, we've got to. I'm gonna. We've got to land the plane on that. It's it's <laughs> it's a really powerful, very powerful thought process. Uh, I go mm-hmm. through. I'm, I'm a part of a group and talk about who who you be is what you create, and that's yeah. that's that's what you're talking about here. And uh, I'll tell you what. There's areas of my life that I'm like, man, you're spot on. That's exactly what's happening. I got to go rework some of my uh, mental mental exercises here. This was an incredible conversation today. We got into a lot of things, a little bit deeper into some of these areas than I was thinking, but I learned a ton. I, I just took out uh, a masterclass on the math of email uh, from this exercise. And I also, uh, I, I just really appreciate the way you think about outbound and how, um, you know, how teams should be thinking about outbound today. Um, we'll have to dive deeper into some of these, maybe some follow-on topics, maybe uh, maybe do another uh, something in the future. But uh, thank you so much for gracing us with your time today on, on the Revenue Champions podcast. Um, and apologize for butchering strategies. I was just thinking, consulting <laughs> in my head. I know we had talked about you using your the consultant um, introduction before. We've, we've, you've told me that story before. So uh, so apologize for the bad intro there. But uh, if uh, folks do want to get a hold of you, learn a little bit more about your programs, uh, how do they reach out and um, get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, woodwardstrategies.com. If you're a a sales leader and you have a team, um, go to woodwardstrategies.com forward slash navigate. And you work internationally. I do. I have clients in 13 countries right now. That's fantastic. um, Yeah, and hit me up on LinkedIn too. uh, If if you'd like. Ryan, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. We could talk for a few hours (laughs) here, I'm sure, uh, very easily. But uh, hopefully we'll we'll continue this conversation at, at a later time. Fantastic. Thanks again for your time today. Have a great one. Awesome.